0: Rahim, Sayyidina Muhammad Alihi Illa The struggle of man against power is the struggle of memory against forgetting. Milan Kundera, the Czech writer, wrote this line. It's in reference to a revolutionary man who was expunged from the Communist Party. He was hanged, and all traces of him were stamped out, literally doctored out of photos. But through Milan Kundera writing this book, Vladimir Clementis is immortalized in cultural memory. Those who believe understand the struggle of man has never been anything more than the struggle against forgetting. The Arabic word for man, al-insan, it comes from the root nasia, the root word that means to forget and the great origin story of man's very creation comes in the quran in the surah in the chapter the heights al-a'raf when thy lord drew forth from the children of adam from his loins their descendants and made them testify concerning themselves saying to them alastu birabbikum am i not your lord they said bala shahidna we do testify Lest you should say on the day of judgment of this we were haplessly unaware. Ghafilin. In this way, humanity begins with a witnessing and then a forgetting. The message of the Quran is that you have forgotten what you have already known. The religion that I practice, Islam, is based on this fact that you owe it to God to remember Him and to be grateful. And it's only saints and prophets that attain a level of consciousness of a type that never leaves them. For them and for the rest of us, we are encouraged to do dhikr, invocations of remembrance. I say all of this to say that when our black brothers and sisters say, say their names, Brianna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery, George Floyd, this is a metaphysically sound statement because it is an acknowledgement of our true nature as a human being. It's an acknowledgement of the shallowness of our cultural memory. We all live in a fragmented attention economy. We witness things and then we forget them. You're scrolling across your newsfeed and you see the death of your fellow man, a brutal, heinous murder, a lynching, And then you forget it, because you are always forgetting. We, human beings, are in a perpetual state of forgetfulness. Say their names is a reminder for us to remember. Black Lives Matter is a dhikr to remind us of something that we are struggling to remember. It's as if we are trying to hold sand and it keeps slipping through our hands. So we have to keep picking it up and reminding ourselves and reminding each other black lives matter. Because that is one that as Americans, we have been made to forget.
1: when one part of the body suffers, it is as if the whole body responds to it with wakefulness and fever. This is what our teacher has taught us. We are a nation in crisis, a single body afflicted, writhing in fever. And as our black brothers and sisters have been and still are suffering, It is time for us to tend to their wounds. For those of us who are children of colonized states, we have mourned lives lost and watched our homes burn. Do we not know this affliction? Let us bear witness to the pain in our bones and spirits. The seeds of injustice and disregard for life that have been sown into our souls by colonial powers have also borne fruit in the American context. (laughs) We too have profited off of a system that values whiteness. We too have knowingly or unknowingly taught ourselves to appease that system. But in dismantling it, we must uproot it from our hearts. Even if we testify against ourselves, our parents, our kin... There cannot be healing until the deeply rooted agony and outrage of our black brothers and sisters is understood. Our words must convey their reality and articulate what is in their souls. This is the time to raise our language, for it is in the times of uprising that the oppressor and its institutions will soften and sanitize it, only to prevent the oppressed from giving voice to their experience. Articulating reality with words that convey their truth becomes a revolutionary act, for there is no barrier between the words of the oppressed and God. This is not the time for hesitation or leisure. We must tend to the wounds of our brothers and sisters in pain, though the actions of our hearts and limbs may differ. And while we must rebuild, we must also tear down our ways. So as we awaken, let us not fear this fever. Let our buildings burn. In San Jose, I'm Zahra Parik for American Submitter.
2: This country was founded on theft and looting. Native land was looted and a genocide was committed against the indigenous caretakers, stewards and occupants of this land. The language metaphysics and ethics that fostered a communal relationship with the earth was replaced by a worldview asserting the dominance of property ownership and profit. In its place, a new nation state was built on the labor of men and women who were stolen from the shores of West Africa and forced into over 200 years of chattel slavery. The American concept of policing evolved from Southern slave patrols instituted by slave owners who wanted to capture enslaved people who tried escaping to the North. And in the North, the police were created in order to prevent the uprise of workers whose labor was being exploited. In other words, policing was created to preserve the economic order of white landowners, slave owners and capitalists. It was created to protect and serve capital, not people. The service of capital and the social order it relies on has resulted in the militarization of police forces across the United States. Literal war tactics, weapons, and technologies are used against people dissenting against the prevailing social order, and these weapons and tactics are especially used against black communities in particular. The other tool used to preserve this order was the concept of whiteness and white supremacy. But what is whiteness and white supremacy? Well, it's a myth, a lie, a theft, to preserve capital interests. When European immigrants first came to the shores of America, they didn't identify as white. They were Irish, English, Dutch, and other nationalities. By creating whiteness, the early members of the American project made the clear distinction that to be American is to be white, and to be black is to be outside of the folds of America. Whiteness as an ideology helped prevent poor immigrant farmers, indentured servants, and laborers from seeing their joint struggles against the landowners and capitalists with enslaved black people and farmers. This brief history is not meant to be a comprehensive explanation of whiteness, policing, or racism, but we felt it was important to provide some historical context for two issues at the heart of the protest demanding defunding the police justice for George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and the other countless lives stolen from us and affirming that black lives matter. We recognize both the learning and unlearning that needs to be done to understand our place in this world and the places we aspire to take it. This history is critical for us, the creators of this podcast and the Submitter Magazine, to acknowledge because of our perspectives as South Asian Americans. We've been sold the myth of whiteness and have been taught that it's something to aspire to. We've been taught that our value in society is based on our participation and success in a system that prioritizes the pursuit of wealth and power above everything else. In blindly adhering to this system, we're perpetuating violence, inequality, and dehumanization. We're living in an ahistorical fantasy a society arranged in a way of winners and losers. So whatever illusions we had about attaining wealth, education, and how that determines our status as Americans, you know, the so-called American dream, that's a false idol. This is a nightmare. This is about preserving the status quo of white supremacy. It dehumanizes and oppresses all of us, and especially our black brothers and sisters. We hold these truths to be self-evident, and we ask, is this not enough evidence to prove we need a new way forward and a new way of living? That none of us are free until all of us are free? And the idols are smashed, the myths are unraveled, and the sanctity of human life is upheld? For many non-black people, our response in these moments can be rooted in feelings of guilt and discomfort questioning our own complicity in upholding the status quo. This may lead to us only responding in ways that appease our disquieted conscience to try to prove to others and ourselves that we're one of the quote unquote good ones. Or maybe we're looking to justify our apathy and inaction during these moments by pushing narratives that things aren't actually as bad as they seem. But in doing so, we only satiate our egos, our nuffs. Any type of response driven by the ego that centers us and not our black brothers and sisters and the fight against white supremacy and violence only harms us and aids the structures that we seek to change. This is bigger than us, but we need to recognize our place and privileges in society and what role we need to play in creating a better future. As non-black Muslims, we need to educate ourselves on the historical and present realities of racism and white supremacy, and take action against our own complicity in this system. A list of books, lectures, classes, and organizations can be found in the show notes to aid you in the educational process, but know that education is just the first step and not the destination itself. These moments show us the importance of community and solidarity for the problems that affect any of us, affect all of us. And therefore the solutions must come from a collective whole and not our individual egos, white supremacy, the carceral state, rampant, unfettered capitalism and racism have been stealing lives for far too long. Every stolen life is a theft against humanity as a whole. We need to work to end the looting of black lives, a looting that has plagued this country since its inception. In Chicago, for American Submitter, I'm Farooq Chaudhary.
0: This has been an incredible couple of months. And for me, it feels like waking up from our slumber. It's important to let yourself love your country, to love the land in which you live, to love the city in which you live, to love your life, to love yourself. The great thing about this country is that it has a profound ability to change. And what's happening right now in the United States is an incredible moment. It's a generative moment. It seems to me that for my community, the people that raised me, the people who I study with, the people that I learn with, we often find ourselves getting confused about what the purpose of law is, Islamic law or Sharia. It's about priorities. It's about setting your priorities right, and it's about governance. And governance is a process that happens in a place. So it's up to us to decide to be rigorous in understanding what is the reality around us. And then to be bold and daring in trying to add your voice to it because this is a moral problem. And the things that you do in your moral life, your moral actions, that is the very arena of your religious life. So we wanted to pause what we were doing for a second. Work that I believe is important, work that we pray will continue and grow. To say that we stand with the protests, We are here to use our hands and our voices, and our minds, and our hearts, to see real change in this country. Farouk, Zahra, and I, and a few other collaborators are starting a new project called The Submitter Magazine. This podcast, American Submitter, is about the specific reality of a spiritual journey. Every conversation I've had has been rooted in my own life, and my own particular faith narrative. Submitter Magazine comes out of this, of the desire to be fully ourselves, in our religion, in our morality, in our identity, but now in the face of everything else that's going around us. So at this moment, it requires us to really focus on what's happening right now and understand how we can get involved and where we can do better. For American Submitter and Submitter Magazine, this is Imran Ali Malik in Oakland, California.